0: Hey, guys, it's Edge Martinez. They call me the voice of New York. And 50 years ago, hip-hop started right here in New York City, and we're celebrating the five boroughs all year long. Check out nyctourism.com forward slash hip-hop for cultural stories, events, interviews, and more. nyctourism.com forward slash hip-hop.
1: This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time, work,
0: Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
2: Hey, how's it going, everyone? This is Tyler Dunn here with Jim Monis. Mm-hmm. This is the Go Long Podcast, episode number two. Jim, uh, I think folks liked the first one, right? I, the, the feedback was amazing. Everybody uh, was was super gracious and uh, enjoyed all your stories, man. I mean, you guys got stories for days, so I'll I'll just kind of sit here and lob lob up the softball, and and you guys just uh, hit it out of the park.
0: I mean, we didn't get fired yet, and we're drinking on the job, so this is there might be something to this.
2: yeah, that that's a key component of this podcast. We always have to, you know, ideally be about two or three beers in. Um, I think we're working on our on our second beer right now. We, we just taped our segment with Doug Whaley, who is phenomenal. People are going to love what he has to say. So many stories about Ben Roethlisberger, his time with the Steelers. We dive into what you look for in a franchise mm-hmm. quarterback. But uh what are you working on over there, Jim? And we should tell our listeners, we're not with each other right now. Jim drove to Delaware because he's a good family man. Surprised his dad, correct? He didn't know you were going down there. We're up for his
0: 70th birthday, brought the grandson for Christmas and say hi and – uh you know, sometimes you feel good about being a son, and, and he, he deserves that. He was a great father, and I have a great mother, so they deserve to see their grand their grandson. That's
2: not not to get too sappy, but that's what it's all about this time of year, isn't it? I mean, really. It's, especially, we have kids in
0: similar ages, yeah. so you know.
2: And it's tough with this pandemic. I mean, I'm going to tell anybody what they don't know, but it's it's brutal to be away from, from so many friends and family, but if you can somehow make it happen, do it because it's important. All right, let's do it, Jim. Uh, first things first, the Buffalo Bills. Um, I think you could call that a statement win, right, for the team, for the quarterback. Mm-hmm. I think that we've we both kind of watched this mm-hmm. team with uh, a pretty fair and, and healthy amount of skepticism at different points. And that second half that Josh Allen had after a, after a really brutal first half, I don't know, to me, I thought that was the best he's looked because you could tell the Steelers – they they thought that they were flustering him. They thought, that, all right, we're going to tee off now. We're going to send mm. blitzers. We're going to send the house at times. We're going to try to confuse him. And he stood there. He was calm. As Kurt Warner said, you know, you got to just make the right throw again and again and again and again. I don't know if he's there completely yet to, to win a playoff game or two, but he sure looked like that quarterback in the second half against a very good defense.
0: That game, as soon as Roethlisberger threw that pick six – Great break on the ball by Johnson. I thought that that I thought that changed everything. I thought the Steelers really had I thought Josh was, you know, like we've seen him before where I don't want to say completely frozen, but wasn't seeing it quickly, wasn't delivering it on time. You didn't see those wow throws that he was making week in and week out here the last couple of weeks. So I it really had this you felt like the Steelers had a chance, you know, and, and then he throws that pick six and it was like and it gave, whether it gave the Bills a little bit of a, okay, come on guys, on offense, let's pick this up a little bit, and they did. I thought their second half. I mean, it was it was the Josh Allen that is putting the Bills on the map right now. And I, you know, you, you hear all the talk and you, and you watch all these games, and when you watch the AFC, you know who are the Chiefs afraid of right now? It's probably the Bills because they do have good players on defense. Their defense is better. And Josh is a wild card. He's a playmaker, and he can beat a defensive coordinator's scheme based on his ability to create and make throws that other guys can't make. And I think that's, a, you know, it's really a credit to the coaching staff of the Bills, but I agree with you. I thought that was a really good statement win um, and, and fun to see them, you know, be tested in the first half like that and, and battle back and, and kind of dominate the second half, really.
2: Because that's kind of a point where the Josh Allen of old just completely craters, right? I mean, that Houston playoff game when, when you know, you're you're, you're back in the pocket. Cam Hayward, you know, he, he hits his hand. It's an interception. There's another play, Josh Allen. It's a fumble, but the refs don't really catch it because it looks like an incomplete pass. He's overthrowing guys. You know, I, I think last season, especially in that playoff game in Houston, that that's right when, you know, everything just goes batshit crazy. I mean, it's just – you got the the bomb to Patrick Demarco. You've got the the pitch, 30, 40 yards downfield. It's just you don't know what the hell's going to happen with Josh Allen. I, I thought that's where we were going with him for a while, and that's the concern. You know, is is that in there somewhere? Has he really exercised those demons? And you, it's almost like Keith Butler could, could was kind of thinking the same. You know, the Steelers DC. I mean, he, he's he's sending Mike Hilton on some blitzes in the second half. He's doing some exotic things, and and it a lot of Steelers fans were were pretty pissed off just kind of judging off of Twitter, which is always, you know, not a healthy exercise, but it, it seemed like, you know, why are you leaving digs one-on-one? Why are you doing this right? right? You could tell that they were, he was calling a confident game in his mind. He thought he had a quarterback on the ropes. Josh Allen delivered. Is, is that the next question on Jim? Like, is he ready to win a playoff game? Is he ready to do this with the season on the line? It's going to be a tough you know even in that first uh, that first round playoff game,' it's, it, they're going to play a tough team. it could be Baltimore. Yeah, I don't know Tennessee I haven't really looked at it that closely, but it's not going to be easy out of the shoot.
0: I't at this point, Tyler, I don't see I don't care about the regular season anymore for Josh Allen. He's you know he's proven that hey, I get the bills to the playoffs. you know I, I, that's what we do. We're, we're going to make the playoffs. I need you, I think for him to take his next step, and it's every quarterback, not just Josh, but any quarterback on the rise up, is win that playoff game, finish that game off. Just to go back real quick, I'm still laughing about you saying a phrase, a bomb to Patrick Marco. Like, that Ooh. doesn't even make sense. But anyway, um, Which- I really think they just need, yeah. I'm sorry. They, the Bills need to win a playoff. No, they just need to win a playoff game, and Josh needs to win a playoff game, and he's they, they, that's what they're ready for. They're ready to take that next step, and that's what they're prepared for. They, they don't, they don't care about what seed they are. They don't care about who's home field, whatever. They're gonna play wherever they want, wherever they have to, and they want to win that game and move on. And that's the only way they're gonna make their statement to the league that we're right. They go one and done. It's it's same old.
2: Totally, because it's not that hard to make the playoffs. At least it doesn't seem like, you know, they added a team. The league has changed. The Bills clearly have a, have a talented, deep roster to get there. This is a head coach, too, that lost playoff games to Doug Marone and Bill O'Brien. You know, one's out of a job. One probably will be out of a job. And it, there's going to be some pressure on, on him. Look, he's done a lot of good, obviously. But you're right. I think we judge this team, this quarterback, this coach in that playoff moment, in that playoff game. And, and they look like a team ready to win that game, at least in the second half against Pittsburgh.
0: Yeah, and and to see the other, you know, the, the Stephon Diggs thing just keeps, you know, it, it just keeps, oh you know, making them feel, validates everything they did with that, that move. And and as when you're on the personnel side, I promise you, they're sitting up there every time. Like, it, it doesn't get old every time <laughs> he makes a big play. And you're sitting in that suite with Terry Pagula and Kim and, and everybody's looking around and you give a little – a little smile, like, hey, job well done.
2: I can remember Doug, uh, you know, your former cohort there who we'll hear later in the show. I can remember him giving Sammy Watkins a few big hugs after games, you know. that, You know, if he had a big game, you know, that that hug was a little extra tight because of that trade that went down. You know, you, there's something extra there.
0: When you put yourself out there as a GM, it's, you know, it, it takes guts. And then, it, you know, you, you do deserve to enjoy you know, when you were right.
2: Real quick on, on Diggs, um, I, I wasn't going to go here, but I want to get your take. Like, so that that was – that's a big conversation point this week as well. I mean, Minnesota, Justin Jefferson, Stud, I think they'll they'll take that swap a million times. Because financially, they're in a good spot. But they were going to get rid of Stephon Diggs one way or another. It was ugly mm-hmm. in, in Minnesota. And it, it, from folks I've talked there, there, there's two ways to look at this. There's the side of, okay, you know, you're a player, you gotta do what the coach says. Like like Terrence Newman, he was an assistant then. He said look, he 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 just needed to kind of shut up and play, basically, in so many words. Like he he wasn't necessarily a huge, huge problem, but it was kind of a problem. And he wasn't buying in. And then there's people out there, some players who actually think, you know what, Stefan Diggs had a point. Like this became a very run heavy, run first offense that didn't really utilize his talents. He's seen all these other receivers get paid. He doesn't feel like he gets to do the kind of things we're seeing him do now. And he had every right to want to get out of there and get away from Mike Zimmer. I don't think it has as much to do with Kirk Cousins as Mike Zimmer. Like, and as a as a personnel man, when you look at that situation and how it could go both ways, like, we're, if you're running the show, like, what do you do with a guy like Stephon Diggs?
0: If I'm in Minnesota yeah. – I do everything I can to keep Diggs because to me, you're spinning your wheels. You lose Diggs, get Jefferson. Well, what would you do? You, you lost, you know, a true, a true proven NFL number one for a first round rookie receiver who looks like he is going to be a number one. But what, how did that, how did you just make your team better? You just replaced good for good to me. So to me, you keep Diggs. And, and build on that. He, 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 that's a proven guy. And then, you know, draft whatever, you know, defense right now. You know, Zimmer's a defensive guy. Go out and get a pass rusher and and and, and make that defense even better. You have Cousins, Thielen, and Diggs, and Cook. you got to keep that together.
2: And they just – he didn't like all the passing. He didn't want Diggs to get his 10 to 12 targets a game. He wanted this to be a run for – and look, Delvin Cook might be the best running back in the NFL, but guess what? They're 6-7. and seven.
0: Yep. That's my point. What did they really do? You know, so it's like, how does your ego get in the way of you can't lose great players? Proven great players are hard to find. I mean, let's face it, we draft every year. We sit there in the draft and we think and guess, and we're all hitting three out of, you know, seven guys, and we're excited. You have one, keep them. Yeah, totally.
2: Man, and the Bills, the way they're constructed, the way Stefan Diggs is playing, I think that they take that trade 100 out of 100 times. So it's. No doubt. So We've got that game, and then what happens the next night, we, we get this Baltimore-Cleveland epic with two other quarterbacks in that draft <laughs> class, which kind of brings us to the main discussion for the day, Jim. Uh, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, Lamar Jackson. Uh, I, I don't know if you want to redraft them. I don't know if you want to rank him. I I just want to know, are any of these guys – bona fide franchise quarterbacks that can win it all that you want as your guy forever and ever and ever already? Or do you still have reservations? And what are those reservations? Because we just kind of saw all three play about as as well as they played at least all season. You know, Lamar Jackson was the MVP last year, but he, he was his MVP self in that game as well. It was good to
0: see him back like that that's kind of the first time this year I felt like we were seeing a little bit of Lamar that we saw last year. But when you talk about are they bona fide, legit franchise quarterbacks, it's hard for me to say they are yet. You have to prove that. And when you look at the, obviously there's two, two everybody knows the two franchise quarterbacks in the NFL are Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. There's no debate on that. There's those two and everybody else. In my opinion, there's a gap. And the two things those guys don't do is turn the ball over. They just don't. Now, I know Mahomes just had three picks against Miami, so I guess that's a little bit bad week for me to say that. But, yeah, three picks, and they were up uh, 20 in the fourth, I think.
2: And he's, what, up to four picks on the season or something?
0: Right. So I looked, and I looked at those two guys, Rodgers and Mahomes, this year, and you combine their their picks and fumbles versus their attempts and rushing attempts. And they are both at 0.01%, both of them. Okay, that's your franchise quarterbacks. When you look at Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, they are at 0.03%. I know that doesn't sound like a big difference, but it is. Those guys are still turning the ball over. They're still fumbling the ball. They're still throwing picks. Until you get that out of your game, you'll never be a true, true franchise quarterback, in my opinion. Now, everybody's going to throw out Brett Favre with the, the interceptions and Yeah, but he's maybe an exception. Led the league every. He led the NFL in the history of football with interceptions. But the year in and year out, it's hard to rely on guys that are going to turn the ball over. Those guys, those guys just have to clean that up a little bit, show a little more consistency. Whether it's throwing the ball, whether it's taking care of the ball, and once they do that, then you could say, okay, and win some playoff games. But to watch them the other night, I would think all of those franchises are pretty exciting. Now, Darnold, on the, you know, Darnold's obviously been just destroyed. They've handled him about as poorly as you can handle a guy that does have ability. But Darnold's biggest issue is that, is turning the ball over. He's still, every week I watch him, you'll watch three plays that he'll he'll make throws in, in every game that no other quarterback can make. Or maybe not no other, but, you know, top five. And then he's making plays that a backup quarterback's making, and you just don't understand how he's so inconsistent. And Josh Rosen Rosen obviously was, you know, cast off from Arizona. Not fair to him. Both sides maybe. Bad situation. Gets thrown away. See if he comes back. But there's ability there, obviously. He'll get another chance. But I do think when you, you know, I think a year ago if we were redrafting, I think obviously everybody's like, wow, how did everybody pass on Lamar Jackson? No. I I think the Bills might have had the best guy in that draft. I really do. And it, that's hard for me to say as far as I didn't see it until this year. Mm-hmm. I really thought his blow-up games and inconsistencies were going to keep him from being coming, you know, basically a top-five quarterback. He's getting there. He really is. I mean, he is a nightmare to defend right now. Um, Mayfield, you, you know, he's playing in some bad-weather games this year. If you you watch what he did in some of these games in Cleveland in the bad weather, it's tough. So statistically, he's going to fall behind a little bit because of those games. But, man, he is playing very well, very accurate, tough, competitive, all the things you want. And he's making plays outside of the pocket with his legs sometimes. And that's really fun to watch. Lamar is a playmaker. That's what he is. Is he ever going to be able to beat a team that takes away his legs? Is the question? He's certainly a good passer, but is he going to be consistent enough when the game's on line on third downs? He missed some the other night. He missed some throws. Now he makes up for them
1: because
0: mm-hmm. he is that talented. But you can't miss some of the throws he misses and beat the you know and beat elite teams.
2: That was a fantastic breakdown. I mean, we got to remind everybody too. You've been watching every snap of every quarterback all season long. I mean, you're studying these guys at. Just a different type of level. So when you you've done all that, and, and with these quarterbacks that we're talking about, you know, let's go those three: Allen, Mayfield, Lamar Jackson. Week one to where we are today. Are, it, what's the separation like? Is there any separation?
0: It's crazy right now. Um, all three of those guys I have ranked almost next to each other, and. What separates Lamar right now a little bit from them is obviously his ability to create, you know, with his leg. And he's making plays outside the scheme of the offense that, as a defensive coordinator, keep you up at night. When I was working for the Philadelphia Eagles as a little run, second-year Northeast Area Scout, okay, and I had a little cubicle in the building and um, go in there sometimes getting coffee, and we had a legendary defensive coordinator who's passed away named Jim Johnson. And we were, playing, we were playing the Atlanta Falcons in the playoffs. And I met up. Coach was getting coffee. I was getting some coffee early in the morning. And I said, Coach, what do you think this week? Just making small talk. He looked at me. I'll never forget it. He said, Jimmy, it doesn't matter what I do this week. We just got to hope. Because when you play Michael Vick, it doesn't matter. You can call the right defense. Everything can be called perfectly. And he can destroy that call. And that stuck with me forever. I mean, that was 20 years ago, about. And it sticks with me forever. And I promise you, if you're playing Lamar Jackson, you're not sleeping at night. And now the thing that Josh Allen has done, I'm not comparing, I'm not saying he's, you know, obviously he's not Lamar running the ball, but he's done it enough where you have to scheme him a little bit yeah. to not let him run yeah. and make him beat you throwing a little bit because those runs will kill you. But I'll never forget that. And for me, Lamar's competitiveness and, and ability to make plays with his legs is what separates him a little bit. But these guys need to do it in the playoffs, all of them. And this year might be the year they all get a chance to prove it.
2: I love that. And then you guys went out and beat Michael Vick in that NFC Championship game, right? Was that, oh, that season? Yeah. That
0: game, I can't believe you remember that. Michael Vick took some. He went in Lambo, and he won in Green Bay. Yeah, which doesn't happen. I know you probably remember that. Oh, yeah. And once he beat Green Bay and Lambeau, I think everybody was like, okay, this isn't like, – it goes to what I was saying. You have to have that moment to bring the league to say, okay, this guy's for real. Now, not that – obviously you knew Vic was talented, but now you're beating Green Bay and Lambeau. If Josh can do that, if Lamar can do that in the playoffs and really, really go out there and, and make a statement win, that's when you know you have your guy.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's – I guess – we kind of come from two different worlds, right? Like, I'm not I'm not studying the film. I'm not crunching these X's and O's and these numbers and everything. But just from a human interest side, I just always loved Lamar Jackson's u- unique story. I mean, really, you mentioned Michael Vick. I guess that's the closest comparison we have. But, you know, coming from South Florida, and it, guys, as you know, scouting, like, guys from where he's from, it is just, it is, ser- football is serious at, like, five, six years old. Like, there are adults betting on your Pop Warner games, like throwing down hundreds of dollars when you're six years old, you know, whatever you are. Like, it's it's insane. I mean, hanging out with Hollywood Brown this, this past spring, like he said he played with Lamar, played against him, and you know, he's looking up in the stands as a little kid. It's packed. They're, they're throwing money around. Like, it's next level. It's different. And you can just feel his competitiveness – to this day, I mean, in that game, when he came back of whatever he was going through in the locker room, we'll get into that later, but, like, instantly the first play rolls right, it's fourth down, everybody gets baited up, boom, hits Marquise Brown, who he told the Ravens to draft, by the way, touchdown. He just, I don't know, I feel like there is this this intangible, and Josh Allen has it too, that kind of matters. And I know he doesn't want a playoff game, but it just, it just feels like, you know, Lamar Jackson kind of went through just a a, a tough period this season where he had to find a counter punch, you know, like he had COVID, right? I mean, he, he had, he had some injuries. He wasn't himself had to beat the Colts with his arm in the second half. I think he was like 10 for 10 in the second half against maybe the NFL's best defense. And he got through it and here they are on the verge or or close to making the playoffs again. And I feel like he might be in even a better spot now than he was last year when he won MVP. Tell me I'm crazy.
0: Well, I agree with you. I, I think, you know, the Vic and Lamar Jackson comparisons are the obvious ones, and they're, and they're rightfully so. I always thought this, and this is why I think Lamar has a little more of a chance than Vic did to get to that Super Bowl, is I always felt like Atlanta was trying to make Vic the traditional quarterback yeah. and had no imagination in their offense, where Baltimore has at least catered their team offensively to Lamar's strengths. And they do design runs. They do design all that for him where they're not hiding it. Hey, we're not going to force you to do something. You're not – let's do what you do great and what you're not as great at. Okay, that'll be second. And they're doing that. They did it the other night. He did both. He did both the other night. And you see it and accept who he is. And, and Greg Williams oh, – here we go. Defensive coordinator just got fired. But he always used to say – he always used to say, oh, that safety doesn't do well in coverage. Oh, he's not good in the box. Guess what? I'll play him 20 yards off the ball because he's a ball hawk. Do what the guy does. Another yeah. thing on Greg Williams, real quick.
1: <laughs> we he took a lot of heat of and it. got
0: fired. I'm sorry about that. I just, it made me, I wanted to talk like about this I like and it. I forgot. Go. So he runs the, you know, the famous, you know, zero coverage blitz, lose the game to the Raiders, get fired. And everybody says, well, he did the same thing to play before. That's what he does. He didn't do the same thing to play before. He played, Prevent and his safeties still let that guy get behind him. Watched the game the other day and I still jaw drop. But people were saying, Greg Williams did that play before. They could have, no, he didn't. And I think, I would love to ask him this. He ran. He only rushed like three on that play, the third, I think it was a, whatever, the play before the game winner. And the guy got behind him. I think he got pissed off
2: mm-hmm.
1: and
0: said, okay, I just ran zone. I just ran prevent and you guys let him get behind. Guess what? Let's go. If I'm going out, I'm going out that way, and I think that's how he found. it. But anyway, I know we got a little sidetracked, but I, I've been with Greg Williams in New Orleans, and I do really respect him as a football coach. Yes, he's out there. Any player that played for him will tell you that, but any player will tell you this. He will do whatever he can to put you in the best place to succeed, and I, I always took that with Greg Williams. Always, that always sticks with me
2: cut the head off and the body will die do you know there? that sticks
0: with me too and then there's some yeah. things that there's a lot of Greg Williams stories for for days <laughs> but we you know I'm, I like my Super Bowl ring
2: exactly hey thank,
0: I'm New Orleans so I'm not gonna say too much I don't have much bad to say about Greg Williams
2: what are you drinking there by the way I don't think we introduced uh, our, our brevet. so tonight
0: Dewey beer Company we have their seasonal Nelson laugh based off the Simpsons. Uh, IPA, 8.4%, and I'm very happy with it. How about you? What are you drinking?
2: I like it, 8.4. point four. You're uh, Yeah, I'm one
0: strong tonight.
2: I'm kind of a child over here then, I guess. Um, I went with a 6.6, but it's our trusty Hamburg Brewing Company. We're going to hear that name a lot on this podcast, more on that in, in the coming podcast, but uh went with a little chocolate porter. I'm not a stout guy at all, but... Whenever I have stout, I don't often drink stouts and porters, but when I do, it's chocolate porter and hamburg.
0: And did the weather have anything to do with that
2: tonight? I was just going to say, when we get into that with Doug a little bit, I think that there is something to, uh, you know, it's it's cold out. It's about 18 degrees here in Boston, New York. There's snow on the ground. You know what? Reach for that porter. It's, I, I don't even know. Is, is, does it have anything to do with, like, taste buds or what? God, is there a science to this?
0: You know, whatever makes you warm. I think that's a good sign that you're in the, going in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. I, like I have that. a question for you with these quarterbacks because, you, you know, you spend so much time watching these guys. And would you say has your opinion changed on Lamar versus Josh versus Baker right now? It's those three. You know, Sam has been – I like I told you, Sam's been. You can't count him right now. But between those three, have you seen a difference in the way you view them from last year to this year?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think you nailed it with – with Josh Allen, I mean, with that that Houston game being the last memory of, that we have of him last season, you, you did wonder. You know, here's somebody who finished dead last in accuracy. You see that game; it's about as ugly as it gets. I know he made some plays, but it, it was ugly. Well, where is he going to be at this season? And I, I think that's definitely the shocker is is the accuracy. And and look, guys can improve; like it can happen. And I, I guess with with Josh Allen, we we really could have looked to Wyoming in a sense where. Like Craig Bowles said, he arrived on campus passing the ball at a very elementary level. I mean, those are his words, elementary. Like his accuracy was was just non-existent. You know, he's he looks like a little kid. You know, he'd make fun of him for not growing any facial hair, and he, it was it was it wasn't good. And I think the improvement he made day one at Wyoming to when he left Wyoming, it might not have shown up. You know, in the in the statistics. As you know, I mean, scouting these guys that last year, he didn't have a lot around him. Um, I was just talking to um, one personnel executive in the AFC and about these quarterbacks. And he said, uh, he said, look, look back at that last Wyoming season. I mean, he made some difficult throws He threw the kind of passes he would need to throw in the NFL. Guys just didn't catch it like they just didn't catch it. So I think he made some real improvement there and that we're just kind of seeing the same thing now in the NFL. I mean, he, he is just improving, and it sounds like a novel concept, but I, I guess when we see a clip of Josh Allen you know, throwing it in to the 15th row or whatever, I mean, we shouldn't draw sweeping conclusions. He got better. And I, I, like I said with Lamar Jackson, I just think that even though he's not the MVP of the league this year, even though it hasn't been as dynamic and fun to watch and just blowing the league up, I, I think that he is getting better just because he's had had some adversity. And in the playoffs, you're going to have adversity in the playoffs. You're going to have to work through some stuff in the playoffs. And he's working through it right now. Uh, Baker, always loved Baker Mayfield. But, you know, it kind of starts with the running game there, right? You mentioned the bad weather, like the run of the ball. And I think that's probably good for him. Most of his success seems to be off play action. And they've got a formula. It seems to be working. They didn't win, but they're going to be in the mix.
0: Stefanski has to be in the mix. For coach of the year, oh yeah, you know, and and you you have to factor in what he did in Minnesota. They were always at the top offensively with with Cousins, who who was a who a really good quarterback. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying he always found a way to to succeed with whatever talent he had. He goes to Cleveland, and he uses those two running backs so perfectly. Kareem Hunt in the pass game is just like it doesn't even it's crazy oh, how no. good he Remarkable. is.
2: Markable, yeah.
0: Markable. That's a great and and Chubb is just. Just give him the ball. I mean, it's awesome. So that team has uh, – th- that coaching staff has done a great job of taking some pressure off Baker, where I think if there's one guy that I don't know if he's capable of handling the, you know, can I carry my team. I don't know if he has that ability, but he certainly has enough ability when he has those types of guys around him running the ball and the and the receivers and, you know, the tight end. They're running screens to the tight end. They're so creative right now. I, Cleveland's a fun team to watch offensively.
2: And I can't remember if we talked about this last week, Jim, so stop me if we did, but no Odell Beckham. And as incredible as he is, you know, there's people there in Cleveland who think, you know, it's kind of addition by subtraction. Now, now look, he's is, is anybody else making the kind of catch he did against the Colts, you know, one-handed, you know, between all these players? No. I mean, you want that player on your team as opposed to <clears> not, but you're, you don't feel the need to just force him the ball 12 times a game. You're, you're going to get – Peoples-Jones involved and going to get Higgins involved and and Joku, and you're going to run the ball more. And it's going to be a more balanced, diverse attack where Stefanski can really get creative and adjust during the course of a game, which is something he may do better than any coach in the NFL.
0: It's it's hard to think you could be better offensively if Beckham's not in a game. It doesn't make sense because let's face it, he's a top five receiver talent. There's nobody that would deny that. But sometimes as a quarterback and maybe a play caller, maybe it takes some pressure off you to say, hey, I don't have to force feed Beckham today. I, let me just call this game. I don't have to take – you know, obviously you want to get your great players involved like a Beckham. Obviously. you you got to get him the ball. But does that take away from, hey, I'm dialing up Beckham plays right now, but I'm taking away from screens to Joku or, you know, getting the Kareem split out on a linebacker. It's a mismatch or a safety. In New Orleans, when I was with the Saints and we had all those great years, we didn't have, we didn't have a true, true stud number one receiver. We, you know, Colston was unbelievable. Robert Meacham led our team in touchdowns as a deep threat. Devery Henderson was a deep threat. Lance Moore worked the slot. Like we had a pu- like we just had pieces to the puzzle that just fit. And I, I always thought about that where, you know, if you have the right guy at quarterback,
2: yeah, it helps.
0: You know, it, <laughs> it helps.
2: helps. <laughs> it's the old uh, chicken or the egg thing. But uh, you mentioned the Saints, Drew Brees. I, I, I want to get into that with you, Jim. I mean, the let's go back to, like, the, the embryonic stages of the Saints and Breeze and when this all kind of came together as, I mean, we've talked off air about this a little bit. But um, this could have gone many different directions. I mean, and, and, you know, public we know that, right? I mean, the Miami Dolphins mm-hmm. could have. Taking the plunge and and just signed him and not be concerned about the injury and all that. But, like, the Saints could have gone in a different direction too.
0: With Breeze, you know, when he comes in, he comes off the shoulder injury. It's why Miami didn't sign him. They didn't think he was going to be healthy enough. They may have been correct because that preseason that year in 2006, watching Breeze throw, everybody was looking at each other like, oof. I don't think this is going to work. Like his arm wasn't looking right. It was bad. It was bad. We got whipped in the preseason. I believe it was Dallas and if I'm, oh man, Jackson, Mississippi, I'm pretty sure we played them in a preseason scrimmage or game there and it was ugly. And we're like, wow. Well, long story short, the injury, it did take time to heal and he came back and obviously the rest is, you know, incredible. But what was great for me was to see a guy, to be around a true, true number one franchise, you know, quarterback. And we always throw that word franchise out, and always say, there's, you know, it's Mahomes and Rogers. That's it. I don't want to hear it. Russell, Russell's close. Deshaun Watson's close, but they're not as good as those two. Drew Brees was a franchise quarterback. He made everybody better. His competitiveness was off the charts. We're sitting in a meeting, and this is in, like, 2009 or 10, I want to say, in the offseason, a, just a mini-camp OTA. And, I, you know, Coach Payton always wanted the area scouts to come to the OTAs and mini-camps and sit in on meetings, which I thought was brilliant. Like, I always really respected and, and valued Coach Payton for letting us do that because as a scout, you grow when you know you're, what your team is really trying to do. And you need to sit in those position meetings. And I'm sitting in there – and in the offense, I mean, some of the stuff they say X's and O's sometimes go over my head when they're talking some of the stuff they talk. It's, that's above me as a scout, you know, but I still like to hear it and be around it. So Breeze is kind of running the meeting. They let Breeze run the meetings in those offseason stuff. Pete Carmichael and Jill Lombardi, the assistant coaches who are outstanding. Pete Carmichael should be on everybody's interview list. I'm just going to throw that out there. He, nobody talks about him. You got to be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. What team wins with backup quarterbacks like the Saints? Okay,
2: right. So true.
0: Pete Carmichael can game plan and, and that guy needs an interview anyway. No doubt. We're sitting in this meeting and Breeze is running the clicker and, and they were just watching the practice tape. It was a little deep little post Marcus Colston was running, like a skinny post, but he wanted, he wanted to make sure he stopped the play. He looked at Colston in the meeting. He said, Hey Marcus, we ran this play three years ago. And that's the first thing that caught my attention three years ago. And he goes, three years ago, we ran this play against the Eagles, the Philadelphia in the playoffs. He said, I need to know 100% that you are going to cut the safety off. You cannot let that safety jump you. You need to cut him off. I'm throwing to that spot. And I'm going to do it one time. If you don't cut him off, I'm not coming back to you. <laughs> And I'm sitting there, and Brees starts running the clicker again. He's in the front of the room, and Colston looks at his receivers coach. They both put their hands in the air like, I don't really know what he's talking about, but do what he says. Huh. And it was I'm, – I'm like, I'm witnessing I, – I felt very fortunate to be around that. I said, I'm witnessing what a franchise quarterback does. I mean, it is complete respect, complete command of the room. And, hey, if nobody likes me all the time, that's okay. The Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan – Hey, maybe everybody's not gonna like me all the time, but I just want to win.
2: I love that example. It's it's so true. I mean that there is that you almost have to just kind of have it's it's my way or the highway, right? This is how I want it, right? I'm the one running the show out there. You better get on my page or else. Now, I imagine Drew Drew Brees probably isn't quite as uh, brash as a, as an Aaron Rodgers with the delivery of it sometimes, but. It's it, As you tell that story, I, I got a phone call after I did that Packer story bleach report a couple years ago, and obviously a lot of players publicly came to Aaron Rodgers' defense. It, it didn't paint the prettiest picture of how it went down in Green Bay. And, you know, we're just I was just trying to seek the answer to everybody's question, like what the hell happened there in Green Bay? And uh, there were some players who called me just, just to talk and just share some more stories, and I won't use their names because – they don't want to be called irrelevant by their quarterback and and be blacklisted at Lambeau field. They want to come back as conquering heroes. So I get it, but they wanted to just share some stories. And one wide receiver, a young wide receiver who was on a very good offense, piloted by Aaron Rodgers, said that at practice his position coach, you know, told him to run a route a very specific way. I don't remember what the play was. I got to look it up, but I want you to run it this way. He gets on the field. He runs the route. And Rodgers was pissed. He's like, no, I don't run it that way. I don't, you're running it this way. This is what I want you to do. And the receiver looked at his coach like, what, what, what should I do then? What do you want me to do? And the coach said, do whatever he says. Whatever Aaron says, just do it. And it was case closed. And that's that's how it is with some of these guys, I think.
0: Oh, well, it should be. And I think that's a great another great example because I'm, I like hearing that because I think that the true great quarterbacks like that, the coaches realize it, the players realize it, and they know if we give, if we do everything right and elevate our games, we're gonna win because our quarterbacks doing everything right. One more Greg Williams story.
2: All the Greg Williams stories you want to tell, Jim. I'm never mm-hmm. gonna size it. You. Please. Ties in the
0: breeze. So once again, it's an OTA. And as an area scout after drafts, you know, we signed some undrafted players. And this is one of my favorite undrafted signings I, you know, was the fourth, you know, lucky enough to make. But Junior Gallette, defensive end from Stillman College. I'll, we'll get into him another time. Anyway, we signed him. Junior, Junior was a little off the, you know, he's off. He's, he's, you don't know what you're going to get from Junior Gallette day to day. But what you are going to get it's him coming off the edge and trying to sack the quarterback no matter who it is. And it doesn't matter if it's an OTA, minicamp, or a regular season game. So we're in a minicamp, and Junior Gallette, as a rookie undrafted free agent, almost collapses Breeze's knee. Oh my God. So I'm in the defensive staff. I'm in the defensive player uh, meeting, and they're watching the tape of the practice. Greg Williams is running the film. So he goes to this play first. And – he stops it right after the play. He said, Junior Gillette, stand up. Junior stands up. He said, uh, if you ever do that, again, to Drew Brees, you can do that to our backup quarterbacks. That's what he said. You can do it to anybody else. If you ever do that to Drew Brees, I have an apple on a roadmap for you, an apple to feed you, and a roadmap so you can find your way home. And then he looked at Jonathan Vilma. He said, Vilma, if Gillette ever does that to Drew Brees, Vilma says, I'll kill him. He looks at Will Smith, who, you know, sadly has passed away. Will Smith, if Gillette ever does that to Drew Brees, then they went on and watched the rest of the practice. Megan Gillette stand the whole time, but it was like you do not mess with Drew Brees. You don't mess with our future. You don't mess with our. This is everything. He is everything we're building. You know, it was just crazy for me to see the players were ready. I mean, they were ready to attack him.
2: That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I wonder what's going through uh, Junior's head in that in that moment. You know,
0: I'll tell you what's going through his head.
2: Nothing.
0: Cause he didn't know anything else other than to go after the quarterback. And he probably, he probably said, okay, I get it. I get it. But this is what made Junior great was he was relentless going after the quarterback. But it was just, it was, it was fun to see the way the team, (laughs) um, you don't mess with your breeze.
2: Yeah. You're right. You got to have some of those guys on your team, right? Like that just, that aren't really thinking, that are just kind of point A to point B. I need to obliterate everything in my path. Like, well, we were just talking earlier today. I mean, I did a story on Jonathan Abram at, at Golong, and it's like he's kind of that guy that just wants to, like, take names, kick ass, he suffers concussions or shoulder tears or whatever. He doesn't really care. And you got to have the – I mean, it's a f- physical violent game despite the rules and everything, but, um, you, you know – as an offense, you're going to try to exploit that over aggression, and we saw that on the Travis Kelsey game-winning touchdown this year. But it's still a violent game. Like, I guess as a personnel guy, if you're a GM of a team, how do you kind of go about building your team with players that are wired that way? Because, I mean, you think back to every Super Bowl winner; everybody has a couple nuts that will just kill. You need it.
0: I've always. Say so if I was ever fortunate enough, uh, it's weird to even talk about because I'm sitting here unemployed. But if I ever was lucky enough to be a GM, it's a very simple formula for me. It's quarterback number one, and then I'm going to find 11 players that are going to kill the other team's quarterback, <laughs> and that's it. And what I've found out in my, I was so fortunate. I look back and so lucky to be around the Philadelphia Eagles in the, in, you know, in the early 2000s with Brian Dawkins you know, and Hugh Douglas and guys that, just Jeremiah Trotter. These guys are borderline psychotic murderers. Yeah. That if it wasn't for football, I don't know what I don't know where they're gonna get their aggression out. And you have to have that mindset on defense. Gallette had it. And the funny thing is, Zoma had it, you know, Will Smith had it. Nicest guys off the field, but they flip the switch and their age is they're gonna kill you. And That mentality on defense is it's what you look for as a scout. Just look for that on defense. If you have that, take a chance on that guy.
2: I always thought that was Ted Thompson's downfall in Green Bay. He drafted so well and he made some like fantastic big franchise altering decisions, obviously a quarterback, but uh he, he didn't really he didn't really draft and covet that you gotta have a few assholes. I'm sorry, you gotta have some guys out there that wanna kill and they had a lot of nice guys. I remember being in that locker room on the beat, and it's like I'm talking to a lot of those DBs, like the Morgan Burnett's of the world, who was very, very good, and um, mm-hmm. Chris Banjo and, you know, Tremont Williams, mm-hmm. who's probably the nicest player in the NFL, like very good players. This isn't a knock on them, but, like, you know, we're sitting there talking about the NBA. They're super friendly. And it's like once in a while that you almost have to have a, a cornerback or a safety in there who's going to see me walk up to his locker and just say, dude, get the F out of here. Like get away from me, you know. somebody's just wired. It's got a few screws loose. Kind of need that guy.
0: They don't want. They, you don't want. You don't want to be in the same room with some of those great players on defense. Because I mean, they they don't want anything to do with anybody. I mean, it's a violent sport that they play. What they're asked to do is insane on defense. I mean, it's it's basically just sell out. You're selling out every play. Your body. You're selling your body out every play to make a tackle. And. That mentality, not everybody has. I know I never did. <laughs> it is. I mean, I'm talking, you know, not that I was some great player, but I didn't have that. I looked at that, and I'm like, I could never have been a good player on defense. I didn't I didn't have that desire to just run through a wall all the time.
2: God, it's so true, though. I mean, playing the game at a young age, I can, I can still remember those hitting drills, you know, as a young kid. I mean, we did bowl in the ring, you know, at the Kendall <laughs> Oilers and Pop Warner. And, you know, I'm just – you know, you know, a little fifth grader. And, you know, everybody, for people who don't know bowl in the ring, you know, players get in a big circle. You have one player in the middle of that circle. Everybody in the circle has a number. The coach yells out the number and that person just runs to that person in the middle of the circle and lights him up. And we, 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 we did that drill. I think it's probably outlawed now, but you're going to find out pretty quickly if football's for you in that moment. And uh, I mean, I, I mean, you did as well. I just remember kind of powering through that. It's like, okay. That first week of hitting drills was always the roughest, and it was the same thing in high school, but there, it is a war of attrition, and, and guys in the NFL say that all the time. I mean, the Mike Mitchells of the world, the Dante Whitners, some of those guys wired like that say, look, it is a war of attrition. If you made it to this point in the NFL and you're going to play this way, you're going to be wired a certain way. And it's, I just think the league's in an interesting place, too, with the fines and the flags and concussion awareness, yet also wanting points and all in on fantasy football, all in on gambling, Um, that player is kind of going a little extinct. You don't – that's why a guy like Jonathan Abram is so rare. There's not a lot of guys like that that can survive in the NFL.
0: Always think about a guy like Abram Jamal Adams. They must sit up at night sometimes and wonder, you're asking me, okay, you want me to go out there and I'm going to sell out. I want to destroy everybody. Then you're going to penalize and fine me for it, right? I'm supposed to do this gracefully? I'm supposed to hit a quarterback, make sure he lands okay? It, it, it's almost, and it's to your point, it's obviously it's for the points and fantasy and gambling. They want points scored, and you can't be knocking out to the Drew Breeses of the world every game because these guys could do it. I really, I believe that. I mean, if the rules were, I mean, if they could. But it's funny how toughness and craziness can be controlled on offense because some of these quarterbacks, like when I when I watched Lamar play and Josh Allen and Baker, the guys we're talking about, they're off the charts tough. Yeah. You know, they're not necessarily going to light you up. You know, if they were playing linebacker, they might not light you up. But they have, they're fearless. They're not afraid to be hit, and you have to be that as a quarterback. You better not be. You know, obviously we know that. But you can't be afraid of anything as a quarterback. And so so the game of football is just how you can control your rage and your craziness for your position to succeed.
2: Yeah, and and guys want to fight for a quarterback like that. And that means oh. something. You can watch a Bills game, a Ravens game, a Browns game, and just feel that momentum, feel that effect. It's, it's real. And – I think the theme of the show, too, it's all about the playoffs, right, Jim? And we're almost there. It's all about what you're going to do in that moment.
0: I'm, I'm ready for it. I'm sure you are. And like you said, I, you know, we'll see how it shakes out here. But we know, we know the teams. We know. We know. I mean, it's Kansas City and everybody else is chasing. In the AFC, I think there's a gap. You know, you might disagree with me. NFC is where I think it gets interesting for Kansas City in the Super Bowl. You know, now, obviously, somebody could knock off KC football, you know, one game, anything can happen. But you'd like – you'd think KC makes it back. Green Bay, New Orleans, Seattle. I, I wouldn't count the Rams out the way they get after it on defense. And, you know, golf just can play clean. Um, it's it's going to be a fun NFC. I think the NFC playoffs are going to be phenomenal.
2: Well, then, before we uh, transition here to uh, our segment with Doug, um. Let's get some Super Bowl predictions. Uh, I, I don't know if you're a prediction guy, but I'm gonna put you, you in the spot, and I'll, I'll send one back your way. You can send it back, and maybe I'll send yours back, and we'll keep, you know, we'll, we'll find a find a pick here.
0: Mine's basic and simple. I will take Mahomes against Rogers because they are the two greatest quarterbacks in the NFL. So who's yours?
2: Oof. And before here, I'm gonna stall by asking you this: Who's MVP?
0: Well, as long as he's playing, it's going to be Mahomes for me. How about you? Agree. It's.
2: I think we're all going to look. You can't. Way.
0: You can't run backwards. You can't take a thirty-yard sack and throw three picks and look like the biggest disaster and beat a good football team. Mm. It's Mahomes until somebody else tells me differently.
2: It's unbelievable. Like people using the three picks as a knock for his MVP case. Like to me, it was. A reason that he should be the MVP. If you actually watch that game, it was like even as he takes that insane thirty-yard sack, even as he has the three picks, you have this—we're wired to have this sense of oh, he, he's gonna win, like it's inevitable. He's gonna detonate. He's gonna find Travis Kelsey. He's gonna find Tyree Kill, Sammy Watkins, Michael Hardman. He's gonna—he's gonna—he's gonna. He's gonna, he's gonna win. It's like no doubt about it. Like what? And all of a sudden, a ten-nothing game is thirty to ten, like that. I mean, to me, that was that was an MVP moment for Patrick Mahomes that day.
0: Sammy Walker, possession receiver, you're gonna win the Super Bowl.
2: (laughs) Not a bad, not a bad spot to be in. Uh, Because I still can't believe I
0: never see him run deep anymore. I don't know if they forget, and maybe they'll let him loose at one point. But he still has that in him.
2: It's man, we got to do a whole podcast on Sammy Watkins and with Sammy Watkins, we'll get him on here at some point and. Let's talk about dimensions. Let's talk about astral realms and all that stuff. But there was a point in that conversation. He said it could be World War Three. You know, if he doesn't get the football, he was pretty upset about his role. And I conversations with Andy Reid helped. He loves Andy Reid. He looks up to him like a dad. I, we don't talk enough about Andy Reid, just being the best coach in the NFL right now. I think he's in a genuinely good spot right now with that role that you just outlined. Um, I stalled long enough. Chiefs, Rams. I knew you were, uh, no, were going to pick your boy.
0: Is it because you did the story or you you think they can do it?
2: You know what's funny is <laughs> uh, we're going to get him on this podcast too, but Matt Fairburn, excellent Bills beat writer, he gives me a lot of shit. He goes, uh, you know, Tyler, that player that um you know, you've been pumping up on Twitter that you predicted would do this, you, you wrote a story about him. So I don't know if it's subconscious, but I do believe that. I do believe it. Like that defense, you've got the best defensive player in football in Aaron Donald. Stud, you've got the best cornerback in football in Jalen Ramsey. Stud, you've got an identity on offense. I think that they've reacted really well to getting embarrassed in the Super Bowl, and I'm talking about Sean McVay getting embarrassed, like schematically. That, I mean, Bill Belichick and the Patriots just took away that wide zone scheme. He had no answer. They have that answer now. I think that they've they're, they're more multiple. I think Jared Goff's accuracy has improved. It's jumped what, like five or six points around there, and he's played really well against really good defenses this season. I know he's had a couple you know, clunkers in there. He's prone to have those, but I don't know. I, I think they've got they've got the recipe, and then you know the pack. I, I think the Packers are definitely a team that could go the distance, but there's still there's still some concern there. You know. It, I I they they've got those dogs on defense that maybe they didn't have before like those kind of players we're talking about. I think they've got those this time. But once in a while they're you know they they could give up a 150-yard rusher. They'll give up a kickoff return for a touchdown. They'll they'll get beat in some weird way that kind of gives I me mean, just a little bit of pause. Where I, I don't know if the Rams have as many like just loose parts on their roster. That's well said
0: because to me, the Rams are pretty simple. If golf doesn't fall apart, and he has twice this year, he's had two of the worst games I've graded this year. And that's hard for me to, to stomach. Like, when I say he's the reason they lost, that's hard for me. But he battles back. He fights back. Nothing phases him. He goes, he has a toughness you know that we were talking about he does have that so i'm not disagreeing with you on that i like that i, I don't th- i think the rams do it I, like i said the nfc i think is going to be just sit down and enjoy i'll be gambling on it so i'm going to be stressed in the <laughs> nfc i can tell you that
2: it's like i'm afraid to dive into that gambling world like it's, i might be leaving don't, don't do school. it you have, you have can't. a family you have a family it. you have a daughter now you have yes. a daughter
0: you have a wife beautiful home don't do it don't gamble.
2: Jim, you have all those things. I have a son, not a daughter, but you know.
0: Yeah, but you know. I have an addiction. You're not addicted to gambling. <laughs> I'm addicted.
2: We could turn this into uh Gambling Anonymous or something. You know, we could do that. Norm
0: Norm McDonald, the great comedian Norm MacDonald, said the only addiction that you can win with is gambling.
2: <laughs> I like it. It's a really good point. You can be addicted to worse things, that is for sure. All right, let's do it, Jim. Uh we are going to now segue into our fantastic conversation with Doug Whaley. Thanks, everybody, for listening. All right. We are now joined by the Doug Whaley, our weekly segment, with the personnel extraordinaire. Doug, how you doing, man? Good to see you.
1: Well, I feel like I'm in Buffalo. I'm in Pittsburgh now, and we got about 12 to 16 inches coming down, so – I'm in the festive mood. Got a little apple cider hot toddy uh, to kind of warm me up from being out in the cold shoveling.
2: I like it. You know, different weather calls for different types of alcohol. You know, it just I don't know the science behind that. But, you know, when you're out there shoveling and it's cold and it's snowy and it's miserable, you know, I get the hotty toddy. I like Bailey's with coffee. Heavy on the mm-hmm. beer, a little low on the coffee. Uh, James, <laughs> yep. I imagine you kind of do something. You probably got a, a drink of choice in this weather.
0: Easiest warm-up drink, whether it's breakfast, snow shoveling, or dinner. And Doug knows it. Shot of Jameson and a high life.
2: Yep. <laughs> I but. like it. I like it. Well, we talked a lot about that uh, that 18 draft leading up to this, and this week is the perfect week to kind of get into it guys um I mean with that epic with Lamar and Baker unbelievable game I was just re-watching some of it I mean we'll be talking about that one for a while Josh Allen always in the news might have had his best half of his career against the Steelers you both know you know what a franchise quarterback looks like should look like that's kind of the debate with all three of these guys this week and and, and any quarterback at any point. So I don't know, I I guess what impressed uh, you, Doug, with that game, those three quarterbacks, and um, what what would you look for in a franchise game?
1: Well, when you look at that game is, one, they were in the moment. Those guys were playing to a high level, but what I liked about it is – they were raising everybody else's level of play up, especially on offense. And and that's one of the things I think is a, a one of the marks of a really, truly good quarterback, special quarterback. Those guys want to play for you. They, and you, they put balls in positions where you can't drop them. And if you do, you're usually not in there and just, it, like you said, you never saw panic on, on their faces. They all, when when they showed them, when one of them was driving down for a score, the other one was basically biting their lip, trying to say, just give me some time. Give me the ball. Give me the ball. And that, to me, is that it factor. And and it's that confidence to know, if I got a chance, I'm not going to fail. Failure is not an option. So that that was an entertaining game, probably. And it seems like, Every year on a Monday night, we have one of these games where it's like, yo, and great for great for the game, even better for next year's uh, media contract uh, discussions. But it, it, if you're a fan of football, you had to uh, love that day, that night.
2: No doubt. No doubt. I mean, it was, God, I just didn't want it to end, right? It was like, it was great to see Justin Tucker make that field goal because the guy's just money. But you kind of wanted it to go to overtime. You wanted some more mm-hmm. football. I mean, Jim, what, what stood out mm-hmm. to you with that game?
0: Well, the first thing that stood out to me was I'm so happy I didn't bet on the Browns getting the three or three and a half because I wouldn't have been able to sleep. And I may have I may have taken one day off of gambling just to recover from that, but just one day.
2: One day. But yeah.
0: I don't know how those guys could – that the way that game ended, that, that's, that is an all-time – of fame, bad beat, Doug. You text yes. me right away. We were just,
1: it, and the, the, the next question we can get in this some other day is all I got were texts from people, This is fixed. I know it's fixed, it has to be fixed. <laughs> and I, I just text back, I said, In today's age, how can you keep 160 players, 20 some, 40 some coaches? A league office and keep it under wraps in the day of social media of trying to fix a game. And then you add refs in it and TV personnel. There's just too many people. But I can understand.
0: Is it it's, worth it? The first thing you do when you're you're an angry gambler is the <laughs> game is fixed. You <laughs> want to call somebody. You want answers. You want refunds. You want something, somebody, somebody to console you and help you to get <laughs> through that moment because it does. It hurts so bad. I had bet on um in the n f c when the Saints played the Vikings and the Stefan Diggs play. I had the saints money line, and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me to lose a game like that, and you just you almost have to just laugh it off and say it's not fixed and you, anybody that knows you can't fix a football game like it's impossible. I would say this though about fixing games, I think officials. I think the history of, like, the NBA, those offic- I think officials could fix games more than players. But I don't I think agree that with them.
2: That I mean, in football, there there are so many gray areas for, for that to happen, though, right? I mean, deep defensive pass interference, offensive pass interference, holding on offense you could call every other. There There's some areas there for these officials to connive and and work the system a little. Right? I'm trying to goad you guys is what I'm doing. What?
1: But- yeah, there is, but I look at it this way: Could you script, "Hey, let's do the lateral play and then run it all the way into the end zone"? That's And, and that 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 takes a lot of scripting. And that's just and today's where everybody wants their their media moment, their mo- moment in the media. Excuse me. Uh, I just don't see it, especially with social media and everything. It'd be tough.
0: Yeah, I, I will say though to answer your question, I know I sidetracked you guys on that, but I agree with kind of what Doug was saying, where the way those guys both wanted to get on the field, you always kind of compare football and basketball. And, and you know, when you're hot, like, it's okay. Go ahead and hit that shot. Just give me the ball next. And that's how you felt. Like, whoever had that ball, I'll score. Like, it doesn't matter. And to watch those guys play at that high of a level, that's credit to them. That was pretty – that was fun to watch.
2: No doubt. I mean, and like, Lamar Jackson, to use your basketball analogy, it was – I mean he was like a guy in basketball that was just on the bench. I mean cramps taking a dump. I don't know, maybe we'll never know. The Ravens are going out of their way to say it was cramps, right? They they paid for a promoted tweet to get that up <laughs> in Twitter so everybody knew he wasn't pooping everybody, please. Um just you know if if you did just say it. At the at the what? What, What's wrong with a good deuce? I mean we everybody does it. It could be a point of pride. He could probably get an endorsement out of it. But, mm-hmm. Charmin, I don't know. But to, for him to be out as long as he was, to come back in the game and, and beat the Browns with his arm. Everybody loves to rip Lamar Jackson. Oh, he's, a, he's a glorified running back. I, I never thought that was a, a bad criticism. But, man, I mean, he, he he was able to kind of bait the Browns in. He made the throws that he had to make. Had the throw to Marquise Brown. Had the throws right down the field to, to set up the game-winning field goal. It It was impressive. And, and
1: that's one of the things is when you're looking at franchise quarterbacks or guys you think that have a chance to be franchise quarterbacks, uh, you look at third downs, you look at fourth quarter, and you look at red zone. And that right there is going to be a confidence builder, not only for the Baltimore Ravens, but for not that Lamar lacked confidence. But now he knows, I did it before, I can definitely do it again. And guess who else is going to feed off of that? His teammates, they're gonna look at him and be like, "Okay, we're never out of it."
0: Yeah. First thing I thought of Doug was in those team meetings this week, especially on the defensive side. I just pictured the defenses, you know, kind of the coaches and the players looking at each other like, "Hey, guys, we have on our on our team, we have the right quarterback. Whether it's Lamar or Baker, we need to we need mm-hmm. to step up a little bit. We got the right guy." And those, and you, I agree, Doug. Those, I guarantee, you that team's walking around like, "Hey." I need to elevate myself because my quarterback is carrying us. That game was those guys carried their teams. That was awesome.
2: And you guys, I mean, like, like we talked about way back when, when you're projecting a year in advance, you're, you're looking at that quarterback draft class. I know I know, Doug, when we were talking, you said, look, at that time, kind of in that fall when you guys are getting dinner at Tempo with the Pagoulas and stuff. I mean, Baker Mayfield really hadn't crashed the scene yet. Like he really wasn't on the radar. So he, he gets on that radar. You're looking ahead to that class, you know. You're you're kind of seeing the season unfold. It's another 500 season, so you're trying to figure out which one of these guys impresses me. Who who did impress you then? And now, fast forward to where we are today. Did anything surprise you? Did anything not surprise you? I'm just fascinated by, you know, that point that you guys were looking at all these guys at at that point that they were in college.
1: I'll let you go first, Jim, and then I'll, I'll I'll piggyback off of you.
0: Yeah, you know, we did some work on some of those guys, not not the detail that you would do, you know, once you're in the draft because that was two years. You know, that was – you can't really spend that much time. We had some people doing it for us, some some scouts and some guys that we trust to at least give us a heads up on, you know, hey, how are these guys looking? Is this a strong class or not? I, I, Doug, I don't have a great memory of us saying, hey, we. I felt like we knew there was about four or five good ones. Not necessarily, yes. hey, this is the guy. This It was more, hey, there's going to be a group to choose from. When you guys dig into it, then you'll set it how you want. Baker wasn't – I mean, you knew about him, but he wasn't – certainly wasn't kind of like, hey, this is the guy. No, to be honest, I think we heard some good hype on Josh Rosen, from what I remember mm-hmm. from some of our yes. guys doing that. So,
1: mm-hmm. from what I remember, Rosen was supposedly the most pro-ready. Mm-hmm. Uh Darnold had just – uh he had the physical tools, and then later that year he had that unbelievable Penn State game. Uh, and remember, Josh Allen, there were some rumors he may have come out in the 17 draft. So we had done some work on him, and the big thing was size, unbelievable arm, deceptively athletic for his size. The biggest thing was the accuracy. Can, can he improve on that accuracy? Can he control that howitzer of an arm? can he do the touch throws. So we we when he decided to stay in, okay, this is another guy. And then Lamar. I mean, Lamar was one of those things you knew you had to know what you were getting. You didn't want to take Lamar and then try to put him in a seven step ball fake pop pat play action type offense. You needed to tailor your offense to his skill set. And then uh uh you know, like I said Baker was one of those hey, he transferred from Texas Tech And anytime you get a guy that transfers, we're – especially NFL scouts are going to say, okay, why did he transfer, but let's see how he does. So eyes were going to be on him, and and he was going to get a definite intense look because of his his transfer, and especially going to a program like Oklahoma.
2: It's so funny to even throw Josh Rosen's name into this discussion, but I mean – He was unbelievable that that college football season. He had some incredible finishes, and and that was who the fans wanted. I mean, I just remember being at One Bill's Drive, kind of covering that draft, and I won't say who it was. There was a national reporter who, like, literally screamed out loud, so unprofessional, in the media room when the Bills took Josh Allen because they just couldn't believe it. And then having friends at the draft party in the field house, like, legit depressed over the pick. Like... The, the same fans that you know want to change Allen Street downtown to Josh Allen Street we're, were not happy that they took Josh Allen ahead of Josh Rosen. I mean, I threw up a poll on Twitter, fully knowing that a lot of my followers are Bills fans. Like, who would you rather have from this draft? I didn't even put Rosen in there. It was 90% Allen. Like, nothing mm. for, for Baker, nothing Ooh. for Lamar. And th- th- at the time, you know, it was a controversial pick. Well, that just shows you how hard it is
1: to be a professional quarterback. The hardest position in sports, but also how hard it is to scout those things and to scout those guys and to predict their success. They weren't the only people that thought Rosen was better than Allen. A lot of people did, but that that position it, it's it's the like I said it's the hardest position in sports and it's hard hard to find and, and there are things that Rosen had that you can still look and say yeah, those are characteristics of a quarterback you'd want playing in your system and, and on for your ball club. But what was it that he couldn't transfer that those abilities to the field in a professional setting?
2: Why do you yeah, both of you guys like with Josh Rosen like why hasn't it worked out? Is it all, you know, a lack of mobility, is it anything else? Any other red flags? I mean, it's it's crazy to think he's what a third stringer now at this point.
1: I know one thing
0: with Rosen, to be fair, to at least give him a little bit of not write him off yet is you can't handle a rookie quarterback much worse than what Arizona did to Rosen. Bring in a new coach, new system, right? Well, you bring that, it's chaos. They fire the coach after a year. You know, the team wasn't good. They couldn't stop anybody. I mean, it was recipe for disaster. Darnold's going through it right now. There is a recipe, I think, for a rookie quarterback, and this is where I was going to lead with this, is it's not just drafting him. It's You better have a plan. That, you know, you can't just plug and play. Mahomes wasn't a plug and play, which is hard to believe, but he did sit. And, Doug, I was hoping you could maybe take us through it. To be honest, I haven't really been through kind of a, a draft layer where you were in Pittsburgh and you guys drafted Ben. Do you remember, do you want to talk a little bit about yeah. what you saw coming out with him and how you guys wanted to groom him? I mean, he played at a at a school that he wasn't going against the Alabamas every week, you know, so was that a concern for you guys?
1: It was a little bit of a concern, but I'll tell you one, one story. It was the MAC championship. They were playing at Bowling Green, and uh, my boss, Kevin Colbert, and our college director, Phil Kreidler, were going to see him. And it was uh, the backdrop of it. They were driving, and it was around the time they had that Ohio Turnpike Sniper going on. And, they, yeah, they decided to go. I was like, I'm good. I think I'm going to stay. But to get to the point of the story, he was injured that week, and it was doubts if he was going to play or not. Ended up he was going to be a game-time decision. So they jump in the car. They go, Um uh, Listening to some coaches that were with Bowling Green and Miami of Ohio at the time, they were like, "This guy didn't even take a snap all week. He had, I think it was a shoulder injury or some type of injury." And he said, "Okay, I'll go out and warm ups pregame, and if I feel good, I'll go. Not one snap of practice, mind you. Pregame felt good. Ends up, let me, I got the stats here: 26 for 35, 74% completion, 440 yards." 12.6 yards t- uh, attempt and four TDs and zero interceptions. And they put up 44 points. That right there shows like this guy has something special. He's got the physical ability and guess what? The game makes sense to him. It is, he's a natural because practice reps, especially at the quarterback, I think are important for timing with your receivers, but also seeing the different looks of the defense. That was one of those things that we're like, okay, When they came back and we started talking to him and watching the film and his competitiveness is another thing that just jumped out at you. And if you talk to him, you hear stories about him. If you're playing pitching pennies, he's going to compete. He's going to bet and compete and try to be the best at it. If you're golfing, he's going to compete. So the competitiveness, the ability, his physical abilities was off the charts and his ability to understand the game and make it so natural and easy for him or things that set us up, set him apart in our eyes. And for us, we didn't even think we were going to get him. We thought he was going to be uh, up there, the second guy taken uh, beside right after Manning. And then we were going to get Phillip Rivers. So we were focusing on Philip Rivers because we thought no one's going to really like him because of his release. And I know Kevin Colbert was a big fan of Philip Rivers, just with his mental toughness, his acumen for the mm-hmm. game. The release was a little concerned, but the accuracy, and, and, and as they say – doesn't doesn't matter how it gets there, just how where it gets to. Is it going to be an accurate place where people can make plays on the ball afterwards, especially uh, uh, receiving as a receiver? So we we, we kind of like, yeah, we'd like to have them. We don't think we're going to get them. So we end up getting them. We just, I mean, it was one of those things when Rivers went, we all looked at each other like, wait a minute. Is this okay? Wait, check, the, check that. Make sure everything's okay. Someone's not jumping in on this feed. So we were ecstatic. So then you look at his first, his rookie year. Tommy Maddox is there. We had a plan. Hey, set him behind Tommy Maddox for a year or two. Let's groom the guy. We go to Tennessee. Maddox gets hurt, gets a spinal cord injury. This guy goes 13-0. And, and that's when you say, okay, what in the world? But every week we throw on the tape. And, and Jim, you know as well as I do, there's a difference in watching a game and being like, hey, this guy's pretty good making these plays, and then sitting back looking at the tape and saying, well, he should have got that read, or he should have got that read, he should have got that read, or he missed that hot. And that's all we said, but we'd be like, oh, he missed that. Oh, nice throw. What I'm trying to say is, again, it showed that the game made so much sense to him. He wasn't sitting back there making the right reads, getting hot reads, but he was extending the play, or he just his natural athletic ability and quarterback skills – made him very productive and guess what happened then once you start winning one two three then you got a veteran team like oh wait a minute this kid's pretty good again we have to step our game up so our defense so like oh we got to play for this guy our running game was like we got to play for this game we ended up i think with a top five running game and i think our defense was top one and in the, in, the, in the league and the best thing you can see about it is that year and this is one of those things where i was like this is a mark of a good team, and I saw it a little bit on Monday night. It's people on the sidelines when another team has the ball, be it the offense or the defense, those guys looking at each other like, we got this. I'm, w-. And then there was one game where their defensive guys, in a jokingly manner, were in each other's face, and they were like, I'm making the play this time to win the game. No, no, I made it. You made it last time. It's me. And that's the infectiousness that a quarterback can bring to a team and elevate that team from a good team to a Super Bowl winning
2: team. Man, well said. That was incredible. I mean, what was it like then in that draft room when, you know, you had no inkling that you're going to have a shot at, at Ben Roethlisberger and oh. this happens? Like, what's the scene?
1: Well, the, the scene was where Lincoln, a good thing is looking at – who needed quarterbacks ahead of us? Unless someone jumped us, we we're like, all right, we're going to get one of these three quarterbacks. And those three quarterbacks, we're like, we'll take any of them. But you knew Manning was going first. And mm-hmm. just out of the skill set, uh, we thought we were going to get Rivers. And so we're, we're calm, cool, collective. And then when Rivers goes, like I said, we all just looked at each other. Our Charles dropped in, like, wait a minute, is someone playing a joke on us? And then we just – I mean, everybody just couldn't control themselves. And it was one of those things where we didn't – I don't think we even waited because normally on your pick, you kind of wait to see if anybody calls to offer you something you can't refuse. We didn't even wait. We had that card written and sent in as soon as possible. And and then, and then it goes to, all right, coach, what's our plan? And then the coach starts the head coach because – there's so much time in there. The head coach starts talking to the offensive coordinator, starts talking to the quarterback coach. All right, we got this guy. What's our plan to make sure, like Jim says, we put him on a path for success.
2: What, just on Ben, too, like, and that's kind of a big storyline this week, too, that he, he, he kind of looked old Monday night. I mean, he is old. I mean, he is up there in age. But, you know, it was uh, not one of his better games, underthrowing guys. I mean, that pick six was one of the worst throws he's had in a long time. Is Is the end near for for Ben Roethlisberger?
1: There's only a few things that are undefeated in this world, and Father Time is one of them. (laughs) So it's just Father Time. And, And then also if you look at how he played the game when he was in his prime, he didn't get Big Ben the nickname for nothing. I mean, he was a beast on the field. He was hard to bring down. He battled. I mean, he just threw his body in the line of fire and had no recourse or remorse about it. Uh, But that was the thing that made him excellent at at his craft. Extending plays, shaking off would-be rushers and would-be sackers, things like that, running and getting that extra large, low in the shoulder instead of sliding. But those those hits, that accumulation of hits, it it just takes time. And then also, once injuries start, especially at an advanced age, the frequency continues, and it it gets – uh, exacerbated it because of the age and the number of hits that you you've had and they don't get less frequent so it's one of those things and I think that's one of the reasons why if you look at their offensive scheme it's let's get this ball out quick yeah. I think it's like 2.1 second season two things to protect him and also to pr- protect him from hits but also to protect him from having to sit back there and try to make those throws that he used to be able to make
2: are they still a threat to win the Super Bowl? And Jim, please, please jump in. I'm kind of. If you got a question for Doug on this, all. Uh, what I, do you think? I mean, I, in the AFC, where with where they're at right now,
1: I, I struggle just because of the lack of the running game. I think if you're going to have a quick hitting passing game, you have to have that threat of the running game to open up those throwing lanes. You've got to have those linebackers and those second level defenders overplaying the run to open up those short throwing lanes, and if you if and their, their running game is just anemic. I mean, there's no other way to say it. And if you have an anemic running game and a short rhythm, timing, passing game, those two just – they don't miss.
0: You know, Doug, I was thinking about this all year, watching these quarterbacks and Rivers, the Roethlisbergers, the Breezes, the Bradys. I personally think – I don't really think any of them are – I think they're shells of themselves, and it's not anything – it's not saying anything bad about them. It's kind of to your point, Doug. It's just, hey, you can't beat Father Time. But these quarterbacks have given their franchises so much success and put them on the map and everything. How hard as a GM and a head coach to say, wow, we got to move on from this guy. It's like, the, you know, it, they have to see it. I give the Chargers a lot of credit as far as, hey, we tried. You know, we tried and tried. And, hey, we're, this thing's got to move on. You know, and they go out and get Herbert. And I, you know, I hope Anthony Lynn gets another chance. He's not helping himself. But I give that front office and whoever made that decision to say it's time. Maybe it was a mutual thing. Rivers may have wanted to, you know, change the scenery too. But the Saints, the Saints, are they've been ready to move on. And and they want this to be Breeze's last year. And they're, you know, they're not prepared for life after Breeze. This guy, you know, they're, they're playing the tight end of quarterback, trying to have fun with Taysom Hill and, Coach Payton, that coaching staff is incredible, and they're eking out some wins with him, but he's not the answer. Jameis Winston's not the answer. They're not prepared. The Chargers have Herbert. Tampa has nothing. Like, if Tampa doesn't get it done this year, that was – I mean, what are they doing? What are they going to do? You know, I I just – I feel like how hard would it be if you were in Pittsburgh right now?
1: Oh, well, in my opinion, I haven't talked to – as close as I am to to the club. I have not talked to any of them. But – in my opinion, if you look, I know just from the GM's point of view, he's in the twilight of his career. Not not ability-wise, just age-wise. Soon as Roethlisberger retires, I think he's going to be putting his retirement papers right after Roethlisberger. But it is. It's one of those things where how do you respectfully move on from someone that bought you two Super Bowl rings and got you to a third? and has been the face of the franchise for, I mean, just multiple years. It's tough, and that's when you have to sit down, and you have to sit down with the owner, the head coach, the quarterback, and the agent and be like, hey, listen, we love what you've done for us. But like everything, this, this thing called the National Football League moves on. It was here before you. It's going to be here after you. As an organization, we have to set ourselves up to continually have success. We enjoyed a lot of success with you, and it's all on you, and you got us to where we are today because a lot of people think, remember, Pittsburgh Steelers, they didn't have a quarterback before Ben. I mean, I say one of the reasons, in my opinion, that we got that, that guy is because we were playing with some subpar quarterbacks. And it, it's one of those things you have to ha- be in a bad situation to get a quarterback like that. Mm-hmm. And then Bill Cower, I think, is d- well deserving of, of the Hall of Fame because of what he did. Look at his quarterbacks he was playing with. And even when he won a Super Bowl with Ben, that we sometimes we won in spite of Ben, especially that Super Bowl. It w- I mean, he had a putrid game, but I digress. Mm-hmm. Point being is that is a hard, conversation, but it also, you have to say to the quarterback, the quarterback has to kind of be, have a little self-evaluation. If he can say, you know what? I am not where I am and I'm not helping this organization. I need to move on. That's when it, it makes it a lot easier. Now, if a guy has those, as I call them, daddy glasses on, like, oh, I'm still great. Then that's when it gets tough. And then that's where you get that bitter divorce. Like you had maybe in green Bay, and stuff like that. So that's the type of stuff. So it's a, it's a very slippery slope and it's a very touchy conversation to have, but, but you got to have it.
2: That's what's so fascinating about the Packers, Ron Wolf Mm -hmm. to Ted Thompson to Brian Gutekinds. It's like, it's remarkable. I mean, when you look at like first round quarterbacks taken, and, and the, the fact that Aaron Rodgers didn't start till his 49th game, Phillip Rivers is next at his 33rd game, and he was behind Drew Brees. And before that, I mean, you you play by your 10th game. I mean, that's just the fact of life in the NFL. If you draft a guy that high, he's going to play right away. And the reason is, I mean, Green Bay is just okay being callous. You know mm-hmm. what? It's a brutal game. Like, I, I remember that summer I was an intern in Green Bay writing for the Shawnee leader, and – um. It's a shareholders meeting, and fans are literally going up to Ted Thompson, two thousand eight, with petitions asking him to sign this petition to bring Brett Favre back. I mean, they're heckling him. I mean, all the pressure in the world is on this this new GM who's standing by Aaron Rodgers, who nobody knows if he's any good. Brett Favre just took you within one pass of the Super Bowl. He does what he does, and what did Brian Gutekunst do this past draft? He he took Jordan Love when they had Aaron Rodgers, mm-hmm. and he knew he was going to piss off Rodgers. I don't care what Rodgers says. He, that, I mean, that's the ultimate grudge to hold, and, and he's, proven, he's proven it this year. Uh, I don't know, Doug. I mean, if well, you're, you're in that position. I mean, you interviewed for that job. I mean, what's going through your head in that seat?
1: Well, well let me ask you this. In my opinion, I think that was a, a great move by Brian because it sets you up for your next move. Because think about it this way. Yeah, you piss Aaron Rodgers off. Guess what happens? he's going to show you shouldn't have drafted him. And guess what? That's a benefit to what you have, your your team, right? So you're you're going to be, you're locked in looking at the number one seed in the NFC. So what's wrong with that? Elevating that guy's game. Maybe he was getting a little comfortable. Maybe you brought this new coach in and he was like, who's this young guy? I, I, I got more say in this and, and more pelts on the wall than this guy. What would I need to be listening to this guy? How's he going to take us to where we need to go? Then you, I wouldn't say, for the lack of a better term, You you don't put him in his place, but you kind of say, hey, it's the Green Bay Packers, not Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. It's Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers. So now he's got a chip on his shoulder. So now he's like, oh, I'm going to show them. They should have drafted somebody else. Great. Now, guess what? You're developing Aaron Long. I mean, not Aaron Rodgers. You're developing the young guy coming behind him, and he's sitting back. He's looking at Aaron Rodgers. He's studying. He's taking notes. This is how you watch film. This is how you practice. This is what you do afterwards. And guess what? If Aaron Rodgers plays for four or five more years, you still have that asset that you start throwing him in preseason games and he starts playing out of his mind. You got an asset to either trade and get that first-round pick back plus or you got a a decision to make. Well, Aaron's starting to be on the decline again Father time. Then we just move on from him. And then you don't have that gap in competitiveness trying to find that quarterback. So people blasted him. But for me, Brian was playing chess while everybody else was playing checkers.
2: So perfectly put, couldn't agree more. If the the worst case scenario is Aaron Rodgers winning MVP, that's that's a pretty good worst case scenario. Although it should be Patrick Mahomes, obviously. But uh, not not a bad worst case scenario. Not (laughs) at all.
0: Think about this with these new GM jobs that are opening. Matt Ryan, Matt Stafford. I want you to talk about this This as your time. I'll give you my quick thing. Bye bye to both. If I was interviewing for that job, I would ask that owner, I keep it simple. Enough's enough. We've tried and tried. I don't know. I, you know, that's my opinion. I, I'm going to put it out there. I just want you to talk about what. You know, what would you do on those? You know, those interviews, those first question they're asking those GMs.
1: And, and we asked the same questions on our quarter. I mean, on our quarterback when we had our head coach interviews. My thinking is, as long as everybody from the owner to the GM and the head coach are on the same page and willing to go through that change at the head of your organization, which is the face and the head of your organization, outside of those three, is the quarterback. As long as you're on the same page and saying this is what we're going to do, I say do it. Because like you said, they've proven that they can keep you competitive, but but no one's in that this business and no one's in the NFL just to be competitive. Everybody's in it to win a piece of jewelry. I remember when I got my first... Super Bowl ring, my friend said, that is the only ring that you – that no, let me say it. He, he said it this way. The only time you'll ever see hear another man say, let me see that ring, is a Super Bowl ring. You'll see, hear it all the time from women. Let me see that ring. Let me see your wedding ring. <laughs> Never will you hear a man say, let me see your wedding ring, but, hey, let me see that Super Bowl ring. That is what you're in this game for. You play to win the game. You play to win the Super Bowl. So if you understand that that guy's not going to take you there, you got to move on, but you got to have a plan. But also you have to have an owner that is willing to give you the time to enact your plan. And that's why I say, in my opinion, what Miami did and what that owner did is unbelievable. And it's rare, but I think people are going to start trying to duplicate that. Come in, have a plan, execute that plan, but have the faith and the belief and the backing from the owner. To, to to make that come to fruition.
2: Incredible Doug, just just phenomenal stuff, man. Thanks for taking us like inside the the thinking inside the room. I mean, it, and even just before we get off topic too, like we're talking about the Packers and them drafting replacements. Like the Steelers, they they took some second round quarterbacks and Ben didn't seem that happy about it. Like is is he on the other end of the spectrum? Do you think that like pisses him off and maybe for the the other reasons, the wrong reasons? <laughs>
1: Ah, uh, let's put it this way: the way he's playing, <laughs> it looks like that might be the case. I don't think he was happy. I mean, you can tell by his body language when he gets interviewed and stuff like that. But again, that's when you say, if you are true, if you truly believe, bleed black and gold, then you'll be out for the best for this organization in the long run. And that's where you got to have that sit down with them and do it man to man, look them in the eye. And again, you got to have that triumvirate. You got to have Art Rooney. You have Coach D and you got to have uh, Colbert sitting down and say, let's go to someone's house and sit down. And then and even if that agent needs to be there and be like, hey, listen, we love what you, you brought to us. We wouldn't be where we are today without you. But our job is to steward this team for years to come. You will be able to come back anytime. We'll put you on the payroll as an ambassador. We'll do whatever. But you got to understand where we're coming from. Let's do it in a respectful, gracious way, manner, but we're going to have to move on. Same with, with Ryan. I mean, that, that's just Matt Ryan. That's what you're going to have to do. It, it is. But there's a respectful way to do it.
0: I wanted to say that. It, you don't want to just say, you know, I know I said bye-bye to him, but to be honest, it's better for both parties. To me, it's almost, you know, you're in a relationship with some, you know somebody for 10 years. You know, hey, when are you putting that ring on my finger? Not. Um, yeah, I need that ring. So it's probably best for us to both part ways. Same thing. Hey, Matt, Matt, we need the rings. Like Stafford and Ryan, we need rings. And it's not mm-hmm. working in Atlanta and Detroit. Doesn't mean you can't go get it somewhere else. You might be better off in another place to get that ring, but it's not working here. And I, it, that's a hard, hard thing to do, but I think they've had enough time. You know, I think it, you know, this guy.
1: And, and, and especially in Atlanta and Detroit, when, you, when you're starting over with a new regime, it's a little easier conversation saying where you are in your career, you may need to go somewhere where you have a better chance of getting to where you want to go quicker than this free build we have. That's a better chance than what the Steelers are, uh, would have to, to talk about with Ben because the Steelers have a number one rated defense that can carry you a long way, can't carry you to where you need to go. But it can carry you a long way. So they won't be in a rebuild world. They'll be more in a discovery of the next guy behind center mode. So those are two different uh, scenarios.
0: Yeah, because I don't think Ben, Breeze, Rivers, Brady. Mm, I think if I think their time would be, it wouldn't be another team signing them. Where Stafford and Ryan, somebody still they're, they're still qualified and good enough to win games and possibly make a run if everything else is in place. I just, you know, that's the difference.
1: All right, here's a question. And do we have time? I mean, this is great. Uh, might be
2: whacking us in two minutes, but we can uh we can push All right. it.
1: All right, well you guys talk about this when I give off back. I mean when I'm off. If you're the Steelers, do you go after one of those two guys, Stafford or Ryan? You know when you got the number one off defense or our top five defense. That's I'll leave with you guys leave me with that. We can pick it up next week. Well, we, always we can, a pleasure. Yeah, we, we can
2: always keep, you know, restart another one. That's a that that's a juicy. I mean, we we got to get your answer, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I, I want to hear you guys first, though. I threw it out there. It can't be first to ask it. Answer it, Jim.
0: Well, Doug, it's like we know when you're stuck in that quarterback. When you win games, you're not getting one of the top college quarterbacks in the draft. So if Ben's out, Breeze is out. It's it, yeah. I'd be okay taking a chance with, with the Saints if the Saints and Steelers wanted to take Matt Ryan and Matt Stafford. Sure, take a chance.
2: Yeah. Unless Bill Belichick gets them first, right?
1: Ooh.
2: Yeah. Tyler always thinking about. I this.
1: Always thinking. Yeah, always. True Buffalonian. I was thinking about the Pats. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I do. I do love the explanation. I'm telling a quarterback that it's time for him to. I mean, that's George Costanza. It's not you. It's me, right? I mean, that's no, yeah. you're, ba- you're basically just pulling it. Like, if I'm that quarterback in that room, I'm saying I invented it. It's, it's, it's <laughs> you. It's me. If anybody, if it's anybody, it's me. You are damn right, it's me. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Well, I imagine that's yeah, how it'll right? go down in Pittsburgh, probably this off season. But those guys
1: at those positions, the head coach and the GM, to whom much is given, much is expected. And those guys are going to have to make those decisions and have those hard conversations. And that goes with the job. But again, if you have the thought process of I'm doing this for the betterment of the squad going forward, it's not personal. It's just straight business.
2: Love it. Love it. Well, hey, before we sign off, Doug, you nailed your prediction uh, last week. So let's just make this a weekly thing with you. I mean, we'll see how long you can yeah, give us a prediction for Sunday. An upset, whatever you want. Oh,
1: oh, oh, oh he caught me off guard. Throw a game out
2: at, at me. That might. Uh, oh, hey,
1: kind of
0: go ahead. Go Bills Broncos on Saturday. Uh, Bills are favored by six and a half in Denver. In Denver? On a Saturday after a short week, wink,
1: wink. Me personally, I think I'm going Denver to cover. I'm definitely going Denver to cover. I like their defense. I I, I like their gonna, what they're going to do. It's going to come down to if Drew Locke doesn't make uh, a lot of mistakes, doesn't turn the ball over, I think they'll have a conservative game plan. And they have two good running backs, which uh, Kansas City proved that Buffalo is a little uh, suspect against the run, especially the power running attack. So I think that's what they're going to do. Run the ball, keep Buffalo off the field, play good defense, and keep it tight.
2: Sounds good. Man, well, uh, yeah. Doug, we can't thank you enough. That was just incredible insight. Can't wait to do it again next week. And, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's keep it rolling, man. That was awesome. All right,
1: fellas. Always a pleasure. We'll see you next week.
2: All righty. That Cheers. was – Yes, cheers, cheers. That was uh, episode two of the Go Along podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Be sure to uh, rate, review within the Apple app, wherever you listen to podcasts. We greatly appreciate it. See you next week.